It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. All right, so let's dive into some of the big issues. And in the Biden presidency, and probably more so even than the Obama presidency or the Obama-Biden, if you think about it, president, vice president, now president, foreign policy doctrine faces another level challenge. There was a contrast and obviously a difference in the Trump foreign policy when it came to dealing with those who are truly our enemies. And perspective was a big part of that. Understanding that we have to look at our enemies from the perspective of how they see us, how they act, and how they perceive themselves. In this case, Iran, who have demonstrated since the revolution in 1979, a clear path and hegemonic goals that are contrary to peace and stability, not only in the Middle East, but around the world. So to bring this to the next level, how do you get there? Well, from my perspective, when weakness exists in the United States in policy, not necessarily in capability, but in policy, which drives the deployment and use of the capabilities that we have militarily, uh, economically, you think about the instruments of national power, right? You use them, you deploy them. But weakness can undermine all of them in some way. And now the Biden administration plans to meet with Iran in Vienna and restart the JCPOA Part 2 talks. By the way, that was never a deal. It was not ratified by the United States Senate. It was not a treaty. And it was never really anything more than a Neville Chamberlain piece of paper, peace in our time. And rather than a Churchill versus Chamberlain, and if you remember in Churchill's darkest hours, Neville Chamberlain was still alive to see the failures of his labors in in bringing back a white piece of paper that said, we have signed a deal with the uh, the German leadership under Adolf Hitler, and there will be peace in our time. I'm sorry, under the Kaiser, and there will be peace in our time. There wasn't. It was the first war to end all wars. We need a Churchill. We have a Biden. Colonel Dan Davis, senior fellow and military expert at Defense Priorities, joins me now. Colonel, you know, how our enemies see us matters. How do you believe uh, that Iran sees the United States right now? Well, see, I actually believe that the first point is to see, is to understand how the comparative balance of power is between the United States and, and Iran uh, before addressing the second question of how we see them or how they see us. And that is that Iran is a middling power at most. Uh, it is very weak. It can't project much power. And our, our power is overwhelmingly greater than it. And it does not pose any direct threat to the United States that we can't handle easily with our existing military at any moment. And I think that's incredibly important to point out, first of all, because whether there's a, a new JCPOA deal or no JCPOA deal, we're going to continue to be safe. And in fact, I would argue that Iran needs to deal much more than we do. 
Well, if they need to deal much more than we do, do they believe, and you're not wrong about weakness internally, but the leadership at the top can use either weakness or strength of any nation to their advantage. While there is a growing uh, internal strife and struggle, the fact is the IRGC, the mullahs, those who are in charge, still act not only, and I'm not saying directly to the United States, but to other countries in, in their own way. They're acting in Venezuela. They're acting in other parts of the world. They have run an effective insurgency, except when countered by strength. They continue to grow. So I don't believe we can ignore that perspective from their point of view and from what they're willing to do or sacrifice to move it forward. Well, but, but uh, I come back, though, to what is the implication of that? Let's just argue for the moment. In fact, I would just outright say, yeah, I agree with you to all the aspects you just mentioned, that they're active in those locations. But the question is, what is the impact on us? And and I think that they're, they're a nuisance, they're bothersome, and certainly they're a threat to other nations in their region. But they are overwhelmingly balanced already by the much greater power of Israel over Iran and of Saudi Arabia and, and the Arab Emirates and several other places out there. So there's already a balance in the region that they have to deal with on a daily basis for their own, you know, basically near or on their own borders. So we're so much farther away, so they can't do much to us except for be a nuisance, which we can handle. So the question then is how, how far do we want to push issues and, and, and possibilities? And I will argue that we may disagree on this, that the maximum pressure campaign of the previous administration was, was not successful and did not help us at all. But it actually made Iran more desperate. And, and sometimes people that are more desperate can take actions that we don't like that they might not otherwise take. Are they desperate or determined? And I'll go back to another example. There was a time in recent history when, kind of the way you describe Iran, someone who didn't have the ability to project major force. I'm not expecting a land invasion from Iran at any time on American shores. Uh, Not expecting them to even carry out a land invasion, but run an insurgency rather in Iraq as they did, or even in local areas, in Kurdish areas, or in others. But they have proxies and actors. In 1998, and let's say the years before, India and Pakistan were in a different position until one element changed that. That element, nuclear weapon. Test in June of 1998, and now all of a sudden you had nuclear-armed nations side by side. That changed the dynamic, and it changed the way they saw themselves. Iran is on a path, a defined path, whether they achieve it next year, 10 years, they are on a defined path to nuclear weapon, which becomes a Middle East nuclear arms race. And that is not limited to the Middle East. So how they are now and what their goals are, while you're not wrong about their ability to project, Yes, they can hurt us, they can cause attacks, they can inspire others, they can recruit, they can do all of that. It won't be a major global or domestic, rather, effect on this country. Their march is towards something that changes the game, and that is a nuclear weapon. But see, I would actually argue that for all the flaws that you correctly pointed out with the JCPOA, they were much more limited than they are now. And since we've gone with maximum pressure, 
that has actually made them go away from the constraints and the limitations that they had imposed on themselves through the JCPOA and had kept, according to our own State Department, UN, the IEA. Those are now much more uh, – liberal and they have you know gone further into developing those so in a sense our our maximum pressure has actually pushed them in the direction we claim to want to stop and so that's why i think that it's it's a mistake to just keep on with pressure because then you have to get to the to the bottom line if we don't have this in place or any kind of version in the future then what is the alternative because then you get to the point to where you have the risk of a, a whether intentional or accidental war that serves nobody's purpose and, and that's right. one of the big and, reasons why I'm a big advocate of getting our troops out of Syria and Iraq, because all they do is, pre, you know, provide a, a target potential for Iraq to actually Iran to actually attack American troops. Minus that, they're even less of a threat to us. All right. So let's keep let's keep working this out together, because I, 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 I you know, we're, we're in agreement on a lot of this, but. Where we have, call it divergent views, I don't know if it's a disagreement because there's really not a finite discussion here. It's an ever-evolving discussion. In order for Iran to take an action, you need an enforcement mechanism. You mentioned the atomic agencies, and frankly, I'll just go broader and say the monitors, right, whether it be through the UN or otherwise or the United States. We found out that Iran continued to lie about their enrichment processes and levels to which they were enriching. We allowed them in the JCPOA to provide the samples to be tested and gave them time to provide samples, which not, were not necessarily, and we now know, not necessarily from the areas or the level of samples that should have been tested. So there were a lot of failures and flaws in that. And again, their view... Not our view, not what you and I know to be reality, but their view keeps them on track. So how do you enforce with a piece of paper, and that's why I use the example of Neville Chamberlain, who had to sit there in the chamber while Winston Churchill gave his darkest hour speech, because peace in our time just meant time to plan for the next war. Well, see, I, I, I argue that it was more than just a piece of paper because there was actually, even though there were flaws in it, and, and those you just mentioned are some of them, and, and, uh, and une, unequivocally. But it is also clear that there were significant constraints on them. And so even though there was some issues with what you talked about of you know the, the reporting things not being on the up and up, there were things that could be actually verified by the international inspectors, and it was a constraint on them. And we know, for example – you know, their stockpiles of uh, uh, reprocessed uranium was minuscule compared to where it was before, and it's now much bigger than that. And it now it's up to 20 percent instead of I think it was five or something like that prior to this. And so that's open that we know of. So even though there may be some things around the edges, it's still not as good as what we had in the past. And, you know, there's but the other problem is that I, I do think we do agree with and I'm not sure how there's even a, prob, a, a possibility of addressing this is that the JCPOA was not a treaty. It was not anything binding. And, you know, the, what they're talking about now is not anything that's going to be binding. They just want to go back to the status quo and develop. And, I, you know, that could be undone just as easily as it was undone before. So I think ultimately the bottom line is our deterrence uh, is going to continue to keep, you know, us safe. And it's going to, the pressure we're going to continue to apply, as well as other nations in the region, is going to continue to keep them uh, from getting that nuclear threshold. Well, it'll be an interesting uh, process to see. 
how the view, and I think the view is important here, uh, one view uh, predominantly from, I would call it the Iranian side or the more radical side in that corner of the world, and it's not new or unique to them, is that peace or so-called peace or detente is time to rearm and advance versus, say, the view of life and coexistence that exists uh, under an Israeli approach, or frankly, for many of the other nations, while they don't agree with us on everything and they have their problems, those five and actually, uh, you know, you can call it between five and seven cooperative deals, economic cooperation, recognition of nations of Israel, were important in stabilizing the opposition. So this is going to play out now. And Dan, I, I you know, I, I hate to put my my chips on a bad bet, but going to Vienna will produce nothing as it has before, but time for Iran to continue to advance. And why I use the Indian example, while we weren't paying attention, AQ Khan was selling nuclear secrets, and now we see where other parts of the world have not benefited from that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I certainly don't agree that that happened, but, but then you, that's where you have to get into the point of what's the alternative. Because if we don't have even a minimal uh, plan or, or deal that minimizes what they're doing, then the alternative is we have no influence at all. And then now then you have the possibility, if it goes in the direction you're talking about there, then it ends in ultimate war. And that's a lose-lose for everybody, especially for us. And so you know, I'm all about doing what is going to minimize the chances for war. And I don't see how they get minimized if we don't have some kind of negotiation or diplomacy. Well, we'll see. I, I like the idea of economic pressure. I like the idea of bringing the government down even more economically. It does mean suffering within Iran. But those people that want freedom are not going to get it out of a piece of legislation or paper. Uh, I haven't found the, the good example of that or the effective example of that anywhere in the world that didn't you know begin with pain to end with peace but dan always always a good conversation yeah i always like being on the show i like being challenged i like it <laughs> all right colonel thanks for joining me as always uh colonel dan davis senior fellow and military expert at defense priorities 866-95-PATRIOT-957-2874 i'll be right back you can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.